a word spoken in due season. This is part eight. This has been a good series for the summer. A lot of people have gotten these tapes and walked away with them, given them away, blessed other people with them. And today I want to share with you this word in due season. I'm calling it a lifting word, a lifting word to the fallen Christian. A lifting word to the fallen Christian. Luke 22:31. Jesus turns his laser beam eyes onto Simon Peter and says something that wouldn't have made my day. He said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, wow, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Can you say with me, he's praying for me. You know what Jesus is praying for you more than anything else? That your faith, no matter what you go through, does not fail. Peter's courage failed, but his faith never did. And then he says, here's what's going to happen. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I guarantee after he got that word, he was scratching his forehead saying, what do you mean return to you? What are you talking about? I'm not going to leave you. No, so let's read on. He said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day, but you will deny three times that you even know me. Father, thank you for your word. Now, let's, I'm sorry, I want to go to verse 54 and, and just read a few verses and pick up where he did fall, and then we're going to pray. Verse 54, having arrested him, that is Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance, and another gospel lets us know John did as well. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a little servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, the fire lit up his face, where he was visible, said, look intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him. He denied him. Saying, woman, I do not know him. Here he is, the one who said, I'll die with you. I'll go to prison for you. Here he is, denying him. Verse 58, And after a little while another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Verse 59, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. His speech is giving him away. Verse 60, but Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And the other Gospels let us know that at this moment, in his denial, he began to curse and to swear. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now look at verse 61 and say, ouch. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Don't you know that was a look? Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Verse 62, read it with me, would you? So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless our hearts to it. Speak to us, Lord, and I pray for everyone who has fallen short and failed in this room that you will lift them up by the Word of God today, dust them off, and set them on the path again 
For, Lord, our failure is not final because God lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them God's going to pick you up today. Well, this has been a good series, and I do want to minister a lifting word to the fallen Christian. I want you to notice something. This is one of my favorite stories, and I'm so appreciative of the Word of God that tells us the truth about those that are in it. If I were writing a Bible trying to convince people that, that God was real, that Christ was real, really the Messiah, I would have glossed over things like what we just read. But the Bible doesn't. In these verses, we find Jesus' top disciple, supremely confident that he's failure-proof. He's failure-proof. He's riding the wave of several successes. Here's just a few of them. By revelation from God, he was the very first. By revelation of the Holy Ghost to proclaim the true identity of Christ. He said in front of everybody, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, Jesus said, way to go, Peter. You didn't come up with that. God showed that to you. Second thing, he alone walked on water. He may have sank, but hey, he walked on water. While the eleven stayed in the boat praying for him. Third thing, with two other disciples, he personally witnessed the supernatural appearance of Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Simon Peter, selected out with James and John, who saw this miracle. It was Simon's revelation that Jesus said he would build his church on. The fact that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, not on Simon Peter, but on the revelation God gave him. The gates of hell, Jesus said, will not prevail against the church that is built on the true identity of Jesus Christ. Lord, boasted Simon Peter, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. I'll do anything. I'm with you. I'm sticking like glue. Nothing's going to make me stumble. Nothing's going to make me leave you. Nothing's going to make me walk away. I'm your man. I'm by your side. Don't you worry about a thing. If all these other guys walk away from you, just like I was the only one to walk on the water, I'll be the only one to stay with you. But Jesus, knowing all men, folks, let me tell you something today. Jesus knows us. We can say a lot of things, but Jesus who the Bible says knows all men, knew the chinks in the armor of Peter's character and foresaw and predicted his fall. In front of a little servant girl, this is amazing, in front of a little servant girl along with the persecutors of Jesus and the Lord himself, Peter panicked. And to protect the life that he swore he would give up for Jesus, he bitterly denied him. The one who had reached the highest fell the hardest. The one who walked on waves sank into the depths of failure's despair. He went out and he wept bitterly. Because I'm going to tell you something, his fall shocked even him. How could I have done that? How could I have said those things? How could I have gone there? How could that have come out of my mouth? I was with him. I love him. I followed him all these years. How could I have done it? But he did it. He who thought he could never fall, fell. And let me tell you something, folks. The Bible says not a one of us is fall-proof. Not a one of us. The Bible says, take heed, be careful, watch out, that you say to yourself, I cannot fall, lest you fall. I believe Peter's fall began when he said, I can't. I can't fall. It'll never happen to me. And he boasted. And he set himself up 
for a fall because pride took those words out of his mouth, brought those words out of his mouth. I'll never leave you. Now when I look at Simon Peter following this fall, some of his actions are very typical of somebody who has experienced failure. Have you? Have you experienced failure today in some area of your life? Have you, in essence, denied the reality of Jesus in your life? Have you somehow, somewhere, in some of your actions, your thoughts, denied the reality of Jesus in your life? We need to understand that God is a God of mercy and He's a God of love. And I believe God told us the truth about Simon Peter so we could be encouraged in our failures. Here are some of the things that he did following his fall. Shame, shame I see all over Peter. It's interesting to me, we don't find Peter at the cross. He's not at the cross. When the one that he left everything for, he left his business, he left his family, he left his name, he left his reputation, he left his familiar surroundings, his family, his home life. He walked away from his lifelong career of fishing, his boat, his tackle, his net, everything, put down his net and walked after a stranger who had looked at him and said, follow me, follow me. He followed him for three and a half years. The more he walked with him, the more he loved the Lord. As best he knew how, in his rough, gruff kind of way, before the Holy Ghost had fallen on him, he loved the Lord. But now here he is denying. And you've got to understand the strength of these denials. They're very powerful. The first time, he says, I don't know him. That is, I haven't been with him. I haven't been hanging around with him. And he uses different words in the Greek language if you were to look at them for no. The word no is different in his last denial than it is in the first one. The first one, I'm, I'm not one of these that have been following him around everywhere. But in the last denial, he uses a word that means I have never even met this man. I don't, he totally denounced any knowledge of him at all. And he did it with vile cursings. And I believe the reason that Simon Peter cursed that way is because they were saying, you were one of the disciples, you were following him around, we know you're one of them. And so to separate himself from any possibility of having been with them, he used language that they knew was not typical of the disciples. So he cursed and he swore and he used the word no that said, I've never even been around him. I've never even met the man. I know nothing about him at all. So the first thing that happens is as soon as that last denial comes out of his mouth, Jesus came walking by. And I'm going to preach a message sometime called The Look. The Look. Because I'm going to tell you something. That look was like a laser beam piercing down into the marrow of his bones, dividing his soul and spirit, his joints and marrow. That look took him to his knees within. That look came at the very moment that the rooster crowed. That look said a lot of things all at once. It said, I told you so. I knew you. I love you anyway. I'm here to pick you up. Simon, I understand. I'm not condemning you, but you got to know that when I give you this look, I saw you before I ever saw you. I knew you before I ever knew you. I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the anointed one. I got your number. I know you inside out. There's nothing hidden from the eyes of the one looking at you right now. I know what you're going to say before you say it, where you're going to go before you go there. I know you inside out. And Simon, I love you anyway. 
because the look was not condemning, because the look was not judgmental, it cut him to the heart. We don't find Peter at the cross to be with Jesus in his darkest hour. How can that be? That you don't go stand with the one who you followed for three and a half years and forsook everything for. I'll tell you how. Shame. How do you stare a bleeding Savior in the face who you denied ever knowing? With cursings in His own ear, He heard you. Don't you know He wanted to go grab a great big bar of ivory soap and wash His mouth out? Don't you know He wished like anything in the world He could reach out and grab those words and bring them back? Shame is one of the afflictions that follows failure. I see another thing in Simon's life. Difficulty responding to God following his failure. I want you to hear me. Failure is one thing. Failure taking you down temporarily is one thing. Failure keeping you down is another thing. Difficulty responding to God is all over Simon Peter because it says that time and time again after his crucifixion, the risen Christ appeared to Peter and the disciples over and over again. He appeared behind locked doors. All of a sudden, there he was. When the doors were locked, he was in the room. Touch the holes in my hand. Touch the holes in my feet. Put your hand in my side where the sword went through and water gushed out. Touch me and see if I'm not real. And Thomas did it. Simon saw that. He walked through walls and then he ate fish. Peter saw that. He appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who once they realized who he was ran back to Jerusalem and told the other disciples they had seen the Messiah risen. Peter was there. He heard that. Mary Magdalene and other women testified of an empty tomb. And one of the angels in Mark's Gospel says, go and tell my disciples I'm risen from the dead. Or go tell the disciples he's risen from the dead and he's going to meet them in Jerusalem. And Peter also. And he named Peter. And that tells me that our God knows when we have failed and wants to let us know, hey, you failed, but it's going to be all right. Come on, everybody. You failed, but it's going to be all right. Because Simon is sitting there dealing with the demons in his own soul. I failed. I denied him. How can I do it? I've lost my apostleship. No doubt. I've lost my call. So the angel says, you be sure you tell Peter. You be real sure you name him when you tell the other disciples. Peter, along with John, personally ran to the empty tomb and looked in it. He saw that the tomb was empty. But I see something. Study it yourself. You'll find it true. In spite of all these things, Peter is not the same man we find prior to his fall. Gone is the zeal. Gone is the self-confidence. Gone is the reckless adventurer. He seems stiff, reserved, withdrawn. Now this is not due to the lack of repentance because the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you what I think it was. And I think Scripture supports this. You go look in the mirror. You go look in the mirror. 
When you leave here, look in a mirror, and I want you to know who you're looking at when you look in that mirror. You're looking at the hardest person on earth to forgive. Simon Peter was stiff, reserved, withdrawn, non-responsive to these miraculous manifestations of a risen Christ. You don't sense joy. You don't sense zeal in him. You don't sense him jumping up and down and saying glory to God. Why? Why? Because the failure was beating him to death on the inside. Oh, you got to think about it. I think his failure took the breath out of him. It was a real doozy. Within hours of observing the first communion service with Christ, can you imagine eating bread with him for the very first time in the history of the world? He had seen Jesus turn to Judas and say, what you got to do, go do it quickly. He knew that Judas was the betrayer. Hours after that communion service, I don't know him. Don't know him. Blankety, 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 don't know him. Mere hours after Jesus' warning that he would fall, and mere hours after his boast that he would die for Jesus, he denounced, even knowing him at all. Think about that. Peter's fall was shocking, it was humiliating, and it would have defined him, hear me now, it would have defined him for the remainder of his life had he not handled his failure successfully. Your failure will define you the rest of your life if you don't deal with it successfully. Failure, if you don't handle it successfully, the enemy will use it against you to define who you are. Through Peter we learn that failure is not final when God is involved. It's never over until God has had his say. As long as you have breath in your lungs and you can look up and say, God help me, there is hope. Amen. So how did Peter work his way through his failure? How did he do it to emerge as the first gospel preacher on the day of Pentecost and to become one of the best known and best loved saints and most famous men in the history of the world? How did he do it? Because you do realize with me, he could have right there faded into history and never been seen or heard from again if he had let his failure define him. I'm going to tell you what he did. The first thing he did was he repented. I want you to know that the six-letter word called repent is one of the most beautiful words in the English language. It's not a negative, it's a positive. Because repentance takes your hand, places it back in God's hand, and repentance takes your hand and places it back in the hands of those to whom God has connected you. Repentance is a beautiful, powerful word. Without it, there is no walk with God. Without it, there is no joy. Without it, there is no testimony. Without it, there is no church service. Without it, there is no successful worship. Without it, there is no devotional time with God. You've got to have repentance. It says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Those were bitter tears because the look of Jesus said, I told you, I nailed you. He it wasn't a I gotcha, it was... I knew you, Peter, and I love you anyway. And it broke him. He went out and wept bitterly. Let me tell you something about repentance. If sin was involved in your failure, repent with all your being. Cry and then cry some more and then cry some more and then cry on top of that crying. Get it out. Because when you cry over sin, every tear you shed is a tear of cleansing. The blood cleanses you, but oh, the tears that come from a repentant heart 
are beautiful in the sight of God. Failure is never defeated by blaming others. I want you to hear me now. Peter could have turned and said, well, Jesus, if you hadn't said that about me and spoken that over me, I wouldn't have ever done it, but because you said it, I did it. Or he could have done like us today. Well, my daddy denied somebody, and his daddy denied somebody. And, I, you know, we've all kind of been double-tongued, so it's my dad's fault, my granddaddy's fault, my great-granddaddy's fault. You know, we live in a day of the blame game taken to a level it's never been taken to before. Let me tell you something about real repentance. Take ownership over what you did and repent for it. But what about them? Don't worry about them. Forget about them. What you did, you take ownership for it and you repent with all your might. He's been waiting for you to repent. He wants the fruit of repentance in your life. Repent. You know, Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed Satan. It's the first blame game in the history of the world. When God came and said, how in the world has this happened to you folks? How have you walked away from me? Adam said, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. Sounds like a modern day marriage. She made me do it. The woman kind of looked around and said, there's nobody else much to blame but the devil. She blamed the devil. said, so he made me do it. But you know, God judged every one of them for their part in man's fall. Every one of them had to fess up to something. Folks, I don't care how many people were involved in whatever it is that comprised your failure, you own your part and you repent and you leave them to God. That's good preaching, Pastor Jeff. I'm going to get that tape. <laughs> now, the second thing that Peter did, he had to have done this, realize that though you failed, you're not a failure. Now, I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that. Realize that though you failed, you're not a failure. This is one of the accuser's great ploys, great tactics against you and me. I want you to listen to this now. He says, this is what he does, because you did, then you are. Because you did that, you are this. I'll give you an example. Because you failed and lost your temper, you are an angry person, just go ahead and accept the fact you're angry and there's nothing you can do about it. Your dad was angry, your granddaddy was angry, your mom was angry, whole family's been angry, so that's why you're angry. How about this one? Because you failed and lost, or because you failed in immorality, you are an immoral person. Or how about this one? Because you made a decision to lie under pressure, you are a liar. Now here's how the enemy works. See what's happening here? He's defining you. Because you did, you are. Because you did this, you are that. And you can't escape it because you did this, this is what you are. And what he wants you to do is say, yep, you're right. I am a liar. I am an immoral person. I am an angry person. I am a cheat. I am this and I am that. But the enemy, you don't understand, there's a warfare going on there because he wants to define you. Because if he can define you, he's removed you from what God says about you. Oh, this is real important, everybody, because there's always more behind a temptation that leads to a failure than the failure itself. I learned this about the devil a long time ago. When he casts a lure in front of you, there's far more intent behind it than just catching you in a bad moment. He has a whole bag of tricks he wants to bring along behind it. If he can get you to fail, then he wants to then further define you. You're a smoker. 
You smoke, so you're a smoker. You've always been a smoker, you always will be a smoker. Why don't you just accept it and smoke? You drink, you've always drank, because you drank, you are a drinker, because you drank, you are this, always will be. Why don't you just accept it and enjoy life? You say, that's right, that's right, that's what I am. Now the minute you say, that's what I am, you have been defined by failure and not by God. Can I tell you that God is in the defining business? You are, you are, listen to this now, you are, say, you means me, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out people, that you would show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his mighty light. That is what you are in God. So you can accept what the devil says based on your failure or accept what God says based on your salvation. The truth is that because you failed, it doesn't make you a failure. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, because the Lord reaches down and upholds him with his hand. Let me tell you something, folks. Just because you fall doesn't mean you're a failure. Come on, give God praise. See, some of you sitting in that seat in church today Believe what your failures have taught you about yourself. You're sitting there with an opinion about yourself and the opinion has come from your failure, not from God. That's why you've got to get into the Word of God night and day and day and night. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And if you get into that Bible, it's not only going to tell you about God, not only going to tell you about Jesus, not only going to tell you the truth about the devil, but it's going to tell you about you. It's going to define you. The Bible says in, in Daniel, the mighty in the last days, the mighty in God shall be strong and do exploits. That's what God says about me. God says you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. That's what God says about you. God says you are more than a conqueror. He says I'm going to finish what I have begun. You are the redeemed in Jesus Christ, covered in the blood of the Lamb. Listen, though you have failed, you are not a failure. The blood of Jesus has washed you. The grace of God has forgiven you. The power of God has raised you. And the Word of God has defined you. Come on. I don't mean to get all worked up about this, but I'm all worked up about this. Because I know that we've got an enemy. And the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices, but I think we are. And one of his devices is to take your failure and define you by it. And then the minute you accept it, don't you know that our prisons are filled with men and women who accepted the enemy's defining of them? You always were a thief, so you're a thief now. You always will be a thief. Yep, you got it. So I'm just going to go steal. So they live out the definition that's been put over them by the enemy. If only once, if you could let me into a prison and let me convince the inmates in that prison of what God says about them. Let me tell you what, folks. It'd be a different prison. You'd be in revival in that prison. Here's why. Because they'd be saying, I'm not a prisoner. I'm in prison, but that doesn't make me a prisoner forever. 
I am not a criminal. I did criminal things. I'm a child of the living God. He's washed me in His blood. He's got a call on my life. He's got a future for me. I know the thoughts He's thinking about me, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give me a future and to give me a hope. I'm not a child of the devil. I'm a child of the King. I'm going to act like Him, walk like Him, think like Him, talk like Him, because I am a recipient of the grace of God. What would you do with a thief who came into your house today when you went home from church? Let's say he had something pulled over his head and was holding a gun in his hand. Would you say, hello, let's sit down and talk about what you're here for? No. You would immediately take action and call the police. If you could hurt him, you'd hurt him. But you would have one goal, to get him out of your house. Listen, you need to see the devil that way. The minute he tries to define you according to your failure, you need to see somebody standing there with a sock pulled over their head and a gun in their hand, and they're there to rob you of your identity in Christ and take you on a downward spiral into death because you believe their definition over you. I say to the devil, get that gun off of my face. You're not going to define me. You're not going to use my mistakes to define me. There is no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So Peter had to have done this. He had to have done this. Because he who was called to preach to the multitudes used his tongue to deny him. So he had to have been able to say, you know what? He forgave me, so I forgive myself. I will not let my mistake, my denying him, define me. I will let his call on me define me. And what was his call? Follow me, Peter, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. He said, that's my definition. That's who I am. Some of you need to tell the devil who you are and then look up to God and say, thank you for who I am in you. He received. He had to have received outrageous forgiveness. Why do you call it outrageous, Pastor Jeff? Because it was outrageous. It's one thing to be forgiven, but let me tell you something, folks. When you come to our God, it's outrageous forgiveness. Because not only did Jesus forgive his failure, he also restored his calling. Jesus, Peter has already given up. He's he's gone out to the lake and he's fishing again with, with six others of the disciples. I'll tell you what was going on in his head, and I can support this, I'm sure, with Scripture. I blew it so bad, he's done with me. So I'm going back to my old life, and I'm just going to fish. Isn't that where I was when he came along? I had my chance, and I lost it. He called me, I followed him, and then I blew it. I'm just going to fish again. Suddenly there's a stranger out there on the shore. I don't recognize him. Children, do you have any meat? No, hadn't caught a thing all night long. You never do when you go back. The providence of God will see to that. Fish all night, didn't catch a thing. Well, why don't you just try throwing that net on the right side? You know, somebody told me to do that once before about three and a half years ago. They throw it over. 
When you get in God's will, you catch. When you get out of God's will, it's famine. Pull in. John, the brightest one, says, It's the Lord. Dives in. He's not even waiting for the boat. Dives in. Peter's right behind him. And I'm going to tell you what he's thinking. John's clear. He didn't deny him. What's he going to say to me? So I don't think he was this. I think he was sort of wading through. I don't know what he's going to say to me. What's he going to say to me? Because boy, did I blow it. Last time I saw him, he was giving me the look. So Jesus has some fish frying. And not a word is said. Let me tell you, it was hanging in the air. He's just cooking some fish. Have some breakfast, children. Now, Peter, I'm thinking he's like my little dog will do when he knows that he's done something wrong. He, he will not look at me. He'll glance my way and turn away. Glance again, he'll turn away. What's he going to do? Peter was... Eh, 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 eh. Because let me tell you something I discovered studying this. John was there when he denied him. So John already knew what he did. So I think John was thinking, oh, oh, <laughs> all Jesus did, Peter, you love me. You know what amazes me? He didn't say anything to him about, I don't know you. Didn't even bring it up. Just said, you love me. Ah. Uh, because uh, he used agape, so that's heavy. Lord, you know that I phileo you, lesser love. That's the Greek exchange. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know that I, you know, I'm not going to brag like I did before, because I bragged and I fell flat on my face, and it, obviously it wasn't true. I'm fallible. I'm not failure-proof. So, so, um, I phileo you. I'll, I'll, I'll venture that far out. Then Jesus gave him a zinger. Do you even phileo me? Peter, it says, was grieved. Because he knew that Jesus was homing in on the truth. Taking him down to where he really was, which is where we all need to be with him. Don't go to him and act like you're a saint, that is, an angel, perfect, with no faults. Go to him and act like you're a redeemed saint, but redeemed by the blood. And so... You know that I phileo, you know all things, Lord. You know me. You know that I at least phileo you. And here's what Jesus said that just, I think, blew him away. Feed my lambs. Three times, feed my lambs. The first time he heard it, surely he thought. Three denials, three affirmations. Three I don't know him, three times Jesus reaffirmed his call. That's outrageous forgiveness. Because not only did he say, I forgive you, not only did he allow him into his presence to fellowship with him, but outrageous forgiveness said, not only do I forgive you what you did, but I'm reinstating you into your calling. I'm not going to let the devil take you out. And so it was outrageous forgiveness. Oh, come on, saints. We walk with a God who outrageously forgives us. I think of all the people in the Bible who experienced as Abraham received outrageous forgiveness after lying twice about his wife and having a child out of the will of God. It says that not only did God forgive him, but he kept him in his calling and he became the father of our faith. 
Moses received outrageous forgiveness when after murder, God called him to deliver his children out of Egypt. David received outrageous forgiveness when after adultery and murder, God put him back into the kingdom he was called to. And Paul received outrageous forgiveness when God forgave him for persecuting the very church he was called to and made him the apostle to the Gentiles. We have all been recipients of amazing, outrageous forgiveness. That's why it's called amazing grace. So say with me, repent of any sin. Realize that though I failed, I'm not a failure. And then finally, receive outrageous forgiveness. Can you stand with me today? If you have failed since you got saved, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. Now listen to me. I'm rebuking the enemy off of some of you who have been defined by failure. I'm rebuking the enemy off of you. The enemy is hitting you over the head with your failure. It could have been years ago. But he is trying to rob you of your belief that God still has his call on you, his purposes for you, or that you can be anything in God. And that's why you've got to stand today and say, I received outrageous forgiveness. Outrageous means like it never happened. Outrageous forgiveness. I want you to take that failure, and I want you to declare war on that thief standing in the living room of your soul with a gun pulled on you. I want you to tell him to get out of the house right now. Just tell him to get out of the house right now. Get out of your soul. Get out of your mind. Get out of your thought life. Get out. Just get out. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for rebuking the enemy who has come to rob and kill and destroy. Rob and steal and destroy. And I pray, oh God, Rebuke those thoughts out of their minds. Remove those thoughts and put your definition of them in their minds and in their souls that they would walk in holy boldness and not in shame. Lord, I pray, I pray for the revelation of outrageous forgiveness to come to everyone. Now you just take a minute and you say, no more. This is the last day. It's going to torture me. The last day it's going to torment me. The last day it's going to affect me. The last day it's going to define me. It's not going to do it anymore. Failed marriages, let it go. If it's over, it's over. Let it go. You've got a new day. Go on. If you stole something, receive forgiveness. If you can make restitution, do it. But go on with God. Leave the past behind, forgetting what lies behind, reaching to what is before. Thank you, Lord God, for delivering us today. Thank you, Lord God, for setting us free today. Thank you, Lord, for a new day. Thank you, Lord God. I've never done this before, but I'm going to ask you to do something. As soon as you know that you're clear, I want you to say out loud, forgiven. Just begin to say it like somebody set free, forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. At the count of three, let's all say it together. One, two, three. Forgiven. Say it like you're...